is when I was young, I was still older then than Connor is now. So I have to say, back in 1996, there was a movie that came out, many of you may have seen it, called Independence Day. You know, we just celebrated Independence Day in our nation, but the movie was called Independence Day. It had Will Smith and, and Bill, uh, uh, not Paxton, Bill Pullman uh, as so two of the stars. But one of my favorite parts is the, of the movie is when they get off the airplane, the President and the uh, Secretary of Defense and the uh, uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at Area 51. And the base commander meets them there and he says, Welcome to Area 51. We're now 24 uh, stories below the uh, surface and, and come on and follow me and I'll show you the main research facility. Well, they walk up and there are some glass doors that are there. And, and uh, the president says to the guy, he says, uh, uh, Open the door. And the, the guy looks back at him and says, uh, Mr. President, it's a clean room, and, and we want to keep the static, you know, keep it static-free. And the president looks at him and says this, simply, open the door. And the guy says, yes, sir. Well, the point is simply this. He knew that when he received an order, a direct order from his commander-in-chief, that he was to listen to that commander-in-chief and he was to follow the order. It was his duty and responsibility to do what he was told to do. Now Luke read for us this morning from the book of Exodus and we find there that there's a man that we know simply as Pharaoh and Pharaoh was given an order by God. God said, let my people go so that they can go out into the, into the wilderness, if you will, and worship. And Pharaoh asked a question that we had on our title slide this morning. And that question is simply this, found in verse number 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Now, if you notice in your Bible, the word Lord, L-O-R-D, is probably in capital letters. And that indicates, if you're reading from translations such as the American Standard Version, that the Bible simply says, Who is Jehovah? Uh, Pharaoh is asking, who is this Jehovah that I should have to listen to him? Who is he? Now, you know, I believe that as we think about that passage, we may just sort of think about Pharaoh in, in this way. Uh, you think your God can tell me what to do? Just stand here and watch while he tries. And you know, I'm the Pharaoh. I'm the one who has charge over this land. I don't have to listen to anybody. Now that was a challenge to God, if you will. And, and, and as we think about Egypt, we understand that Egypt is a place that worshipped all kinds of false gods. They had all different ones. And so when Pharaoh issues the challenge... God accepts, and he's going to allow him to come to understand who he is, and that he is going to prove to him that he has the power, and Pharaoh should have the responsibility and the duty to listen to him in whatever he said. Who are you to tell me what to do? Well, you know what? I believe that that is the same idea that many folks in our own nation today have. Unfortunately, when we think about them, they're like Pharaoh and uh, they're going to find out the hard way. But fortunately today, we don't have to do that. 
we can understand and we can know who this God is. Now, as we see God revealing himself to Pharaoh, one of the things that we see is found still in the book of Exodus chapter 7. In about verses 9 through 12, we see a demonstration of God's power before Pharaoh. And I won't take time to read it because you probably already know that story. The Bible tells us about the time when God tells Moses to tell Aaron to cast down his rod. And he casts down his rod, his staff, and his staff becomes a serpent. Now that's an interesting word. That, that word is used in different places, translated even sea monster in one place. Uh, and uh, the great uh, monsters of the deep or the great fish of the deep. Uh, back in the book of Genesis, but it seems that he's talking simply about a snake, as we would think about it, a serpent, but it was a special one. We also understand that Pharaoh calls in his magicians, and his magicians, they also cast down their staff, and the Bible tells us that by the sleight of hand, or, or by, their, by their magical arts, if you're reading from the English Standard Version, they're able to duplicate what Moses does, but the special snake, the special serpent that God had created for Moses and Aaron was able to do something that the others couldn't do. The Bible says that that snake, that serpent, that it ate, it, it consumed, it gobbled them down is literally the word uh, that is used or the, the idea behind the word. It gobbled these other snakes down. And so, you know, these men, they couldn't produce that. That was just a small demonstration of what God can do. But if I were to ask you this morning, how is it that God is going to, uh, to really and truly reveal himself to Pharaoh? Some of you would probably answer correctly by saying that, well, God sent the ten plagues upon the Egyptians, and you would be correct. But my next question to you would be this. Why did God choose the, the plagues that he chose, uh, the ways that he chose to plague the Egyptians um, with the particular things that he did? And, and the answer to that is simply this. God chose those things because in each one of them, God was striking out at one or more of those Egyptian gods. And he was showing his power and his superiority over them. And so this morning, we want to take just a brief time together and we want to talk about some of the things that, that we look at here and see in the next couple of chapters in the book of Exodus. Let's go back and let's think about God having Moses and Aaron to turn the water into wine. When we see that, it's in Exodus chapter 7 at verse 20. Just for time's sake, we'll look at that one verse. The Bible said, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And he lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. Now, we remember from our little Bible studies and when we were just little children about the water turning into blood. But you see, this was God, the, the turning of the water into blood was Jehovah showing and proving Jehovah's power over three of the Egyptian gods, Hopi and Isis and Osiris. When we think about these three, we have uh, 
Hopi and Isis, who were considered to be the god and the goddess of the Nile itself. But then also, when we think about Osiris, Osiris was believed to be the Nile. He himself had transformed himself into the Nile River. And so we have the, Jew, the, the Egyptian people, they would have recognized that here are their three gods, and if they had power or had any kind of control, they themselves would be able to overcome God. But you know what? God recognized that too. And, and yet when we, when, we, uh, uh, when we see them, we see some hope for them. Look down in your Bible, if you will, to the book of Exodus chapter 7 at verse 22. We remember what the magicians did when it comes to the snake, but do we remember what the Bible says in Exodus 7 verse 22? The magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. You see... The magicians could duplicate by trickery what Moses and Aaron were doing. But the problem is they could do nothing about what Moses and Aaron had done. In Exodus chapter 7 at verse 19, the Bible says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over the rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all the pools of the uh, water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. When Moses and Aaron did what they did, and even the, the magicians were able to duplicate that, God extended His power from the, uh, from the Nile River to all of the water throughout the, uh, the land. It was so bad that according to Exodus chapter 7 and verse 21, the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land and there was nothing they could do. You see, Hopi and Isis and Osiris, they were powerless against Jehovah. And so we have, we have that. But then we have that second plague. Uh, we know that God brought frogs on the land. In the book of Exodus chapter 8, at verse number 6, the Bible says, So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. You see, this wasn't just something that God chose to do that would be be ugly and stinky and, you know, be bad. God was striking out again and bringing the frogs onto the land proved Jehovah's power over the Egyptian god, Hecht. Hecht, you see, was a half-frog and half-woman goddess. And so God was striking out against uh, this particular Egyptian god or goddess. In the book of Exodus, chapter 8, at verse number 7, the Bible says... But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. But you see, the, the magicians could make them come up on the land. However, only God could send them back. One writer by the name of Jerry Shirley 
he wrote an interesting paragraph, or I guess it's a little more than a sentence, maybe a paragraph. He said, frogs and toads were uh, sacred to the Egyptians. Remember their god, their goddess there, Hecht. Uh, if someone killed a frog, even unintentionally, it was punishable by death. But now frogs are everywhere. In the bed, the oven, underfoot. Like a blanket of filth, these slimy, wet monstrosities covered the land until man sickened at the squashing crush of each step on the new green pavement they walked upon. Now, that's pretty flowery language, but understand what is happening here. And so, the, the, the magicians could bring them up, but it seems they could do nothing about it. Look at verses 8 through 11 of Exodus chapter 8. The Bible says, Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I'll let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, verse 9 goes on, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from uh, you and the houses and uh, be le left only in the night. Now understand, Moses says to Pharaoh, when do you want this to happen? You know, when, when do you want me to send the frogs back home? And he asked him to do that. And, and Pharaoh's answer is somewhat puzzling, but a little bit humorous. Pharaoh answers him in verse 10. He said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you may, so that you may know that there is no one like Jehovah our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. You know, I need to ask the question, was Pharaoh waiting just one more night to see if his God or goddess hecht could remove the frogs? Was he waiting, giving that god or goddess just a little bit more time and, and his magicians just a little more time so that they could do it? Why would you wait till tomorrow? If all of this is going on, I want them gone now. But he said, wait till tomorrow, and then you can send them back. But you know what? Hecht was powerless against Jehovah. The next we have God turning the dust into gnats or lice, depending upon which translation you're reading from. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 17, And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. You know, last year, several folks were talking about it that uh, it seemed that it was unusually bad for those little uh, gnats that got in the house, you know, the, around the fruit and that kind of stuff. We had a hard time. And they were so aggravating, you know, trying to get rid of them. But can you imagine, the Bible says, all the dust of the earth. It, it, they turned them into so many gnats that were flying around. And, and, and little bitty bugs. Think about trying to breathe with all of that. You know, if they're, if they're everywhere, they're crawling on you and they're flying around you, then you're surely going to take a stranger in every once in a while. You know, that would be miserable. But God brought that upon them. Why? Why did God do that? 
Well, when we look at the Bible and we look at history, we understand that when God did that, He was turning the dust into gnats, proving that He had power over the Egyptian god, Geb or Jeb. Uh, in Exodus chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, it begins to become interesting. Verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. They had, they had been able to produce a snake. They had been able to, to, to turn water into blood, you know, by their magical arts, the Bible says. They had been able to cause frogs to come out, but they could not make gnats. They couldn't do what God was doing at this time. And, and, and though they, they tried, they had to throw in the towel. They had to give up. They told Pharaoh, we can't do it. God is the one, the God of Israel. Jehovah is the one who is doing this. They threw in their towel. This is the finger of God, the work of the finger of God. That within itself is an interesting term. Uh, in uh, Psalm 8, verse 3, David said, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in your place. Or we know according to the book of Exodus 31, at verse 18, that the tables of stone that God carved out, or that God gave to Moses, were written with the finger of God. And so here, these magicians, they admit God is the one who is doing this. Jeb is powerless against Jehovah. One at a time, one by one, the gods and the goddesses of Egypt are falling. Uh, well, the next one is God bringing the swarms of flies in Exodus chapter 8 at verse 21 or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Can you imagine that? The gnats had been bad, but now they're flies. Flies everywhere. Flies on the food. Flies... Uh, you know, flying around you, crawling on you, aggravating you. Flies, flies everywhere. Well, again, this was a strike. The swarms of flies were proving God's power over the Egyptian god, Kephi. Kephi. You see, Kephi was the god of the insects. The god of the insects. In Exodus chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am Jehovah in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. God says, I'm going to put up a screen, if you will. We put up screen doors, or people used to have screen doors to keep the flies out. God says, I'm going to put up a screen, if you will, over all the land of Goshen, where my people are. And there won't be flies down there, but you're going to be covered up with them. So that you will know who Jehovah is. And not only are you going to know who Jehovah is, 
This passage says that you will know that Jehovah is in the land. That I'm there with my people. You're getting to... Pharaoh said, who is this Jehovah? Who is this God? Who is the Lord who has a right to tell me what to do? Who is it that I should obey His voice? And one by one, the gods that He worshipped, they're falling prey. They're showing that they have no power whatsoever against this great Jehovah. And so as we continue on our thoughts, we have kept thee. And he has no power against Jehovah. But then God caused the Egyptians' livestock to die. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 6, The next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Again, we have God striking against another and proving his power against Apis or Apis. Apis was the bull god, or the sacred bull, taking the form of a bull. In Exodus 32, verse 4, we, we understand that when the people of God cried out for Aaron to give them a god that they could worship, what did he do? He gave them a golden calf, probably in the form that they had seen in Egypt, this same form. You know, I'm not sure how that bull could have brought Israel out of Egypt when he could not even begin to save the Egyptians' livestock. Nor could he afflict Israel's livestock because none of theirs died. Not one, according to the book of Exodus chapter 9, at verse number 7. And so Apis or Apis, he is powerless against Jehovah. But then God brings, uh, used the soot out of the, out of the kill to bring boils, blisters on the people. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kill, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Blisters which burst into sores, bloody running sores over all of their bodies. Well, this was a strike against Thoth or Imhotep. Imhotep. You see, this god was the god of medicine. On special occasions, what's interesting about this, on special occasions the Egyptians offered human sacrifices to this god. And the way that they would do that is they would burn these victims alive on an altar. And their ashes would then be cast into the air so that they would be scattered ash everywhere so that there would be a blessing that would come upon all the land because the ashes were spread everywhere. Did you notice what God told Moses to do? Get you a handful of those ashes. Throw them up in the air. Get your handfuls and throw them up in the air. And they're not going to bless anyone. They're going to give them listers. They're going to give them boils. God is striking out against this particular Egyptian God. In verse 11 is particularly interesting. We have the magicians mentioned again. And in that passage the Bible says the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians. 
and upon all the Egyptians. They can't handle it either. And so, Thoth or Imhotep, they're powerless against Jehovah. And then God brought thunder and hail and fire from the sky. Well, God at this time, according to chapter 9, verse 23, did that. And it's striking the things on the earth, but God is striking against the Egyptian god Net, the goddess of the sky. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, so that it had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. You see, this God couldn't stop it. Had no power over Jehovah. But what is interesting is when you, when you have uh, Pharaoh summoning Moses in verses 28 through 30, the Bible says, Plead with the Lord, for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Pharaoh evidently gave up on his goddess. She can't handle it. You're going to have to get God to take care of it. Moses said to them, verses 29 and 30, Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is Jehovah's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Jehovah God. Nut was powerless against Jehovah. And then there's the east wind that brought the locust, according to Exodus chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. We know that when they came, they finished what the, what the hail had started. They devoured every green thing in the land. And again, this was a strike against the Egyptian god Anubis, who was the god of the fields. Anubis was powerful to stop God. Exodus chapter 10, verse 17. Now therefore forgive my sin, Pharaoh says. Forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Seems like uh, Pharaoh's changing his tune against God because he now recognizes that he needs some forgiveness. Not sure that he's sincere because he hardens his heart again. But then next we have God causing darkness over the land. And when we read about that in Exodus chapter 10 verses 22 and 23, it was dark. Nobody could see. It was dark for three days according to verse 23. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. You know what God was doing? God Himself was showing His power over Ra. Who was Ra? Well, Ra was the sun god. The sun god. If you want to worship the sun, God says, I'll just turn it off. I'll turn it off in your land. You know what? Ra was powerless over Jehovah. Nine Egyptian gods. Not one of them could stand even a chance against Jehovah. Remember what Pharaoh had said? Who is God? Who is Jehovah that I should obey His voice? But God is not finished yet. 
even though Pharaoh should have and could have, he hardened his heart, which brought the final plague, the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. We read about that in Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Uh, We understand through the next few verses, or uh, even into a couple of chapters, that it's then that God institutes the Passover. But who was God bringing His power against in this one? You see, not only did the Egyptians worship Ra and these other gods that we've mentioned, but Pharaoh considered himself a god. And he considered himself actually to be a direct descendant of Ra, one of the most powerful gods. Who is Jehovah that I should obey His voice? There's a discussion about death that uh, Pharaoh was going to inflict upon Moses and Aaron and that brought about what was going to happen. But you know what? In this last one, God was proving His power over the Egyptian god, Pharaoh. Pharaoh couldn't save a single firstborn, not even his own, his own son. Pharaoh learned the hard way who God is. Pharaoh was powerless against Jehovah. We need to remember this morning, it was Pharaoh who had so defiantly asked, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Folks, understand this. Be careful what you ask for. Because God gave it to him. He gave him an answer. Do you remember back in the book of Job, chapter 40, God is about to answer Job. Job's been questioning God. The Bible says in Job chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Fortunately, God only asked questions, hard questions of Job, but he proved himself to this fault finder, Pharaoh, that he is indeed God Almighty. It's interesting to me that in Exodus chapter 6 at verse number 3, when God appears to Moses, and Moses says, now when you send me to the people and I'm supposed to tell them that you sent me to tell them that I'm going to lead them out of Egypt, uh, who, who is it that I'm supposed to tell them that's sending me? Well, in Exodus chapter 6 at verse 3, God identifies himself by saying, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord Jehovah, I did not make myself known to them. You know, God came to Pharaoh through Moses as Jehovah. And Pharaoh didn't want to accept that. And therefore, Pharaoh learned not only is his name Jehovah, but he learned that he is God Almighty. 
Today we may, like Pharaoh so long ago, ask the question, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? You know, God doesn't reveal Himself to us through the plagues that are designed to show His power over the false idols like He did to them. But God has given us one great and lasting proof that He has power. Power over the prince of this world. Who are we talking about? Satan himself. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, concerning his son, who was descending from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. When Jesus was crucified and when he marched out of that Hadean realm and Satan couldn't stop him by crucifying him and putting him to death, God proved his power over that, over that one. And it's through this, by his grace, that we bring about, that he brings about the obedience of faith. You know, in the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Just like God showed Himself to be more powerful than those false Egyptian gods, God has showed us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who not only the Father is, but who the Son is. And He showed us, gave us, the answer to a question that Pharaoh asked so long ago. Who is Jehovah? Who is God? Who is the Lord? Who, who is this Jesus that I should obey His voice? Every knee should bow to the name of Jesus. Unfortunately, many won't. One day, every knee shall bow before Him. Pharaoh learned the hard way. He lost a son, lost his life actually later because he kept pursuing the children of Israel. But friends, it's not just our life that's at stake. It's our soul. We know who the Lord is. Are we willing to obey Him? It may be this morning that you need to obey the Lord by putting Him on in baptism. It may be this morning that you need to come back to the Lord because your life is not right with God. We've already prayed this morning on behalf of Brother Randall. We'd love to pray for you. Who is Jehovah? Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus that I should obey His voice? You need to respond today. Why don't you come right now as we stand?